0: Our passage today is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 2, and then verses 50 to 58, so I'll let you know when to turn over. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 2. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And now turn to verses 50 to 58. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true: Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting?
1: It's been wonderful for Sue and I just to spend some time with you these last uh, three weeks. And we've been exploring the whole question of work and just thinking it through in terms of how we as Christians apply ourselves in uh, workplace settings, thinking Christianly about how we spend our days. I'm just going to pray that uh, God will give us insight as we, we tackle that passage we are just looking at. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great kindness to us and your son. And we pray that as we keep thinking about what your word says to us about how we make best use of our lives, uh, that you'll help us to understand that well, uh, to apply to our situations that we find ourselves in right now and to live faithfully for your glory and honour. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'd just taken a funeral and I was catching up with the family and friends in a hall pretty similar to this, actually. And while I was wandering around saying hello to people, I noticed there was a guy sort of over in the corner. He was in his late 20s. No one was talking to him. And so I went over and introduced myself. Uh, He had a fair idea what what I did for a living, uh, having just taken the funeral. But I asked him, you know, uh, what did he do for for a job? What did he do with his days? And he told me that he was a research scientist. He was studying for his PhD and it was in an area related to cancer research. And I said to him, "That you must find that really satisfying. You know? And he looked at me and he gave me this sort of wry smile. He said, yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But here I, you know, I spend all my day in a laboratory researching how to find cures for cancer. You know? And then I come home and I turn on the news. And on the news, uh, there's terrorism and warfare and a whole litany of, you know, people trying to do away with other people. I think, what's the point? I'm trying to preserve life, and yet what's going on in life everywhere else is people trying to destroy it. Or he said, you know, like, I'm a scientist, I'm doing research, and, uh, you know, I'm working hard to try and provide extension to life. But then there are other scientists who tell me that our planet can only sustain... Probably three billion people. And we currently already have seven billion people on the planet. So I think I'm working against our best interest by trying to extend life. You know, so this was the conversation I was having after this funeral. And this is what I, I thought immediately. I thought I must be much more careful about my throwaway comments on social occasions, right? That was the first thing I thought. But then I thought if you, if you get what that guy was saying, and you do actually understand some of the futility or the frustrations associated with work in this world. Uh, what, he's, what he's saying is actually quite accurate. When you turn to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old, Old Testament, it captures the idea brilliantly well. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, what do people gain from all their toils at which they toil under the sun? And it sets the tone uh, for the book. And what he does is he, he explores the different options for where work can fit in. So he says, well, maybe um, we can gain fulfillment from our work. Uh, chapter 2, verse 10 of Ecclesiastes, he says, my heart found pleasure in my toil. You know, the sense of trying to get fulfillment or to gain a reputation. Chapter 2, verse 9, he says, I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem making a name through your work. Or maybe the whole point of work is to indulge yourself, be a hedonist, you know, in chapter 2, verse 10. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Or maybe it's to leave a legacy, you know, to pass it on to other people. But he raises and dismisses that in chapter 2, verse 18. He says, I hated all my toil, which I toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows if that person will be wise or foolish. You know, what's the point, he says? He explores all these different options for where work can fit into life, but at the end of the day, his conclusions were pretty well the same as my PhD friend at the funeral. Uh, he says this in chapter two, verse eleven. Then I considered all my hands had done and the toil I'd expended doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. You've probably heard people say, no one on their deathbed ever says, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Uh, the thing is, though, research indicates that's not true. Uh, there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald in 2019 And it was based on some survey work that had been done of people who worked more than 40 hours a week. And they asked these people working long hours every week if they regretted the amount of time they had to work at the office. Three out of four people said they had no regrets at all. And the psychologists they consulted from Sydney University said that makes sense. He said because if if you're looking to work to give you a sense of meaning or purpose in life, then it makes sense to give yourself to it with more time so you feel a greater sense of meaning or purpose you see yeah people don't think that way the last couple of weeks what we've seen is the bible says there is a significant place for work in god's world it's a way for us to provide for our needs Um, it's a way in which we contribute to the well-being of others in society there are good aspects Uh, we don't be faithful towards our employers and our work in the way in which we conduct ourselves, but the point is work does not provide us with an ultimate sense of meaning or purpose. It can't do that. And our work, no matter how hard or corporately we toil at it, it can't reverse the problems that are created by Genesis chapter 3 and our rejection of God. We're never going to recover from that fatality. In Ecclesiastes' terms, our employment <coughs> is meaningless or vanity when it comes to answering those big questions about life. Right? That's what the Bible says. But we just heard, didn't we, from 1 Corinthians 15, that there is a labor that is not in vain. Not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Now, you and I, we all instinctively know that, that our work in this world, it has a use by date. We know we can't take our assets with us when we die, but also we don't take our labor with us or the fruit of our labor with us. You can't do that. There's not going to be any garbage collectors or politicians or lawyers or dentists or accountants in heaven. That is, there will be people who've done that, but they won't be practicing those professions in heaven. You know, there won't be any garbage. Right? There won't be any sick people. Right? There won't be you won't need an insurance broker. No insurable interest there. It's all tied away. You know, like <laughs> it's very clear that your work cannot possibly endure. So, what's the labour that's been spoken of here that isn't in vain? What's the labour that endures? The wider argument in 1 Corinthians 15 does give us a clue, and Professor what's his name drew our attention to it. Uh, The chapter, chapter 15, is all about the resurrection from the dead. It's about a future beyond death and dwelling with God for all eternity and why we can be confident about that because of Jesus being raised from the dead. But what's the labour that endures beyond the grave? To actually work out the question to that, we need to think through, uh, particularly in 1 Corinthians, the whole nature of work and workers. Um, because I think it'll give us a real clue as to what's being spoken of here. So let me take you through it. Who are the, who are the workers that are being referred to here in 1 Corinthians 15? If I take you back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, uh, Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church, and he says this about himself, Paul, and Apollos, his co-worker, verse 9. We're God's co-workers in God's service. Um, so we're... We're the workers doing the Lord's work is basically what he says there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, uh, Paul speaks about himself at this point. He says, I, Paul, worked harder than all of them. Right? Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, uh, he talks about his co-worker Timothy. And he says, when Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. But what's the work that these workers are doing? Now, what's being spoken of here? Some of you will know from wider reading that uh, Paul the Apostle, he supported himself through tent making. Right? He, he sort of earned his bread and applied it for that purpose. Is that you know, possibly what's going on here? I don't think it is. What's the work of the Lord? Let me take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. Paul says, Each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day referring to when Jesus returns, that day will bring it to light. And notice the work being spoken of here is very specific. It's actually building up the body of the church and doing it through both evangelism and the discipling of believers. That's the work of the Lord being spoken of. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, it's exactly the same idea. Paul, again, speaking to the Corinthians, says... Ah, You, that is the church, are you not a result of my work in the Lord? Same phrase. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says, I worked harder than all of them doing tent making. No, no, verse 11. So we preached and so you believed. It's a a work to build up believers in the gospel and build up the church. Friends, most of what we work for in this world, uh, it doesn't last at all. Or in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 terms, it is in vain. It won't endure into the age to come. See, When I turn up to heaven, i told you I did a couple of years as a lawyer, Jesus is not going to say to me, Paul, just hang on for a second, open a drawer, pull out a file, and say, this is such a good commercial agreement you drafted. What a contract, you know. Welcome into my kingdom, right? That that is what I, that work I did, I wanted to do faithfully, but it's all dust. In fact, most of it's already dust, to be quite honest. Most of what I did is totally irrelevant to life already. Do you understand that our work doesn't have that sort of enduring sort of quality? But there is a labor that's not in vain. And it's the work of taking the gospel to other people. And it's the work of discipling Christians in God's word and preparing them for eternity. That work, Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's not a waste. It's not in vain. It does endure. What I'm going to do with the last uh, few minutes that I've got up my sleeve is to talk about how this laboring for the Lord intersects with our jobs, our day jobs. How do we connect those two together? And I want to talk through a couple of different categories. It really helps uh, to keep remembering what your main job is as a Christian, as a believer. And I mean that whether you're earning an income, a a, a day job, or whether you're a student or a stay-at-home parent or retired, whatever your situation is, you are to labour for that which endures. Okay, and To have that as your main lens through which you view life. There's a guy who used to be in the city called Tom Bednell. Um, Tom was in his 90s living in a sort of a retirement village, nursing home situation. You remember catching up with Tom when he, when he was that age and uh, asking him what he did with his time. And he listed off a few things. But he said once a month, what he did was he went around the whole village, right, quite substantial, and collected up everyone's subscriptions for their newspapers. I thought, what an interesting thing to do. You know? <laughs> I said, what do you do that for? He said, he said, it's really good. He said, I get to go around and talk to everybody in the whole village and collect their money. But I get to talk to them about my faith in Jesus at the same time. See, do you understand? His his viewpoint was how can he labor for the Lord? How does he do that? I sometimes talk to stay-at-home parents who really struggle uh, with the sense of uh, the labor they put into their children. And they live in a society which keeps telling you actually the more worthwhile thing is to get a job and to an income, and to try and have everything actually as you go forward. Now, don't hear me saying I, I think everyone should be a stay-at-home parent or you know that sort of thing. Uh, but it, it is interesting, isn't it? Like when you think about the labour that lasts, what what could be more enduring than investing in the lives of your children to train them up in the Lord? Well, isn't that? Isn't that an incredibly noble task as you think about the work of the Lord that endures forever? See, we're we're the labour. Remember what your main job is in this world and let it dominate your existence. Employment, for those of you who've got paid jobs, we need to keep in mind the difference between our work and good works. Uh, I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. At this point, Peter is speaking to believers about how to commend the gospel to other people. And he says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, the good deeds being spoken of here. They're acts of uh, generosity or grace or mercy that are shown to others. Uh, it, good deeds are not the gospel, right? They're, that is, they're clearly different, uh, but often they're a connection. Um, that is, often the way you, you live your life causes people to actually ask you about what makes you tick and you have the chance to actually communicate about the gospel. There's that sort of connection. Uh, So we ought to be thinking about how we do good works at work, if that makes sense. I remember hearing about a teacher. uh, She was getting really frustrated by the staff room context that she found herself in each morning and the level of the the banter and the conversation. So she decided that what she'd do is on the way to work, she'd read the newspaper on the bus and look for an article that she could start off with in the, the staff room and potentially connect to her worldview as a Christian or her faith in Christ. And uh, so that's what she started doing. And then one morning she found herself on yard duty, which is despised. How many teachers are here? Most teachers I've ever met despise yard duty. uh, But she found herself on yard duty uh, before school started. Now she was doing this task. There was another teacher who wasn't on yard duty who came out and joined her and uh, sidled up to her and said, and she said to this, this other teacher, Wait, what gives, you know, why are you out here you know, when you don't need to be? And this other teacher said, you know, if if you're not in the staff room, there's no point being there. Well, a a lovely comment uh, for someone to make. Do you understand the connection between good works and the labour for the Lord that we're being called upon to do? We reflect the character of God at work with the desire to be actually speak the word of God, the gospel to other people. But one of the things I commonly get asked is this, should we do the work of the Lord at work? Now, do you understand how I'm framing that? Should we do the work of the Lord at work? Should we evangelize on our boss's time? After all, they're not paying us for that, are they? You know, so how do, you, how do you make that work? Now, for those of us who are in paid employment, uh, this is a place where we spend a huge chunk of our lives. And often the relationships you form in that work context are the ones where you, you can spend more time at work with colleagues than you do with your kids or your spouse, you know, because of the nature of the time that's committed to it. Now, it is critical that we're faithful at work. We're not slack. Uh, We demonstrate the character of God by the way we go about our work. But in most places, uh, there is a level of social engagement at work, at the water cooler, getting coffee, lunch, drinks after work, whatever it is, and there is the opportunity to actually have the gospel on your radar, to do the work of of the Lord at work. Um, Sue will be able to tell you, I've been a really late adapter, adopter, when it comes to technology, uh, really slow every time it came around. I was the last person I knew who got a mobile phone because they didn't want people to call me. You know? So I uh, figured that was a great, great way of avoiding it. They could only ever get me at the desk. You know? that, uh, and maybe you know that sort of interruption that comes with phones. But eventually I got one. And it, but it's only this last year that uh, I've started using a calendar uh, on, my, on my phone. Uh, some of you may be into that space, have been into it for three decades. Twelve months for me, okay? And uh, and what I've noticed, really, this is a lesson for you. Like I've noticed that uh, you can put in appointments for different times, but you can also put in something there for the whole day, you know, to actually record a sort of a banner thing that's meant to cover cover the whole day. So I did it Sue's birthday, right? It's the whole day, you know. It's not just, a, I don't just dedicate 10 minutes to it, you know. It's a, that's how it works. Can I say that when, as believers, it seems to me that's that's way we need to operate. You almost need to take out your phone and put in a heading for every day, right. This is the Lord's day and I want to labour for the Lord. You know, that sort of banner at the top of your phone, because that's our mindset. We want to do the main job and make the main job the main thing in our day. How do we labour for the Lord? And I think we should labour for the Lord at work as we have opportunity. And a lot of that, I think, is mindset. So that raises another question. Uh, should you give up your day job to do the work of the Lord? Well, if the work of the Lord is so important, shouldn't you just do it all the time? Now, you'll understand there's an obvious problem with this, okay? Okay. And that is, who will pay my wage? Right? If uh, everyone does what I do, see, I'm only kidding. Uh, but the uh, other thing, but how do you actually work out the answer to this question? Can I say, I think it's the wrong way to think about life and work. The primary concern is not whether you give up your day job and go to Bible college, right? that's not the first concern. The concern is how do I labour for the Lord, whatever my day looks like? i just give you a couple of examples. There's a, um, a guy I met when he turned up at university, which is about quite a while ago now, must be 25, 30 years. His name is Andrew Doust. Andrew was just a gifted, godly leader, and I spent, I reckon, eight years trying to persuade him uh, to give up his day job, and go to Bible college and go into full time gospel work. And I thought he'd be very good at it. He for good reasons, he held off doing that. And in due course he went overseas to a Middle East country. And right now Andrew is he's got his own sort of consultancy, but he chairs the board of the church he's at, which was a church plant with about fifteen people, that in a Middle Eastern location now has several thousand people across three locations and doing an extraordinary work of reaching people, especially expatriates, but also in labour camps, reaching people with the gospel. Now, is he doing labour that endures? Oh, you better believe it. You know? And I think he was right, actually, in his decisions about what he did, and I was completely wrong. Let me compare that with someone else I was talking to a little more recently about Bible College. And again, trying to persuade them to head down the Bible College route, vocational ministry. But this is what they said to me. In my job, I have extraordinary opportunities to share the gospel with people I work with and people I have connection with. And I'm a bit reluctant to give that up and go to Bible College especially when I observe that ministers who are in full-time vocational ministry often lose touch with their non-Christian friends and connections. Did he hear what was going on? He wanted to do the work of the Lord and he was just thinking through how he could best do that. Now, he went to Bible college. Good choice, I think. Do you understand the Bible college is not the issue? It's the labouring for the Lord that is the issue. Friends, what I'm saying is it it is so important to have the right career aspirations as a believer. Apparently, Steve Jobs, the Apple man, was trying to entice John Scully, who was the president of Pepsi-Cola, to join Apple back in the 1980s. And he wasn't having much, much success in enticing this guy to come and work for him. And so this is apparently what Jobs said to Scully. He said, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? <laughs> it's not a bad line, is it? But of course, we, um, we all know that Apple can never change the world and actually can never change the life of an individual at the most fundamental level. Compare that to this uh, account I heard where a corporate recruiter was trying to persuade a man into a better t- paying and a more prestigious job. And he was trying to push him over the line. And so he said to him this, what is your purpose in life? Okay. And it obviously worked on a few people he chatted too. And this guy, believer, he said to get to heaven and to take as many people with me as I possibly can. That's what dominated his thinking and his heart and his life. Friends, the paid employment we do, it's, it's got a significant place in God's plan for the created world. No question about that. But it doesn't endure. It's in vain. Keep remembering at work your labour for the Lord at work is not in vain. Your labour for the Lord at work is not in vain. Let me preface. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you'll help us to have uh, your priorities, your mindset as we Reflect on life in this world. Uh, Father, help us not to be dominated by our jobs or by a mindset that says jobs are so important, but rather to keep thinking through what it means to labour for you in this world, no matter what we're doing. Father, let that that shape our hearts and minds. Uh, Give us clarity of purpose and help us to serve you. Uh, Father, we do commend ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.